Archdiocese of Sioux Falls Office of Adult Faith Formation, this is the Prairie Rome Companion with Dr. Chris Bergwald. Hello and welcome to episode 7 of Prairie Rome Companion. I am your host, Dr. Chris Bergwald, and I am sick. No, <laughs> uh, seriously, I do, as you, if you've listened to the podcast before, you know that this is not my normal speaking voice. Uh, I caught a cold recently and unfortunately I haven't completely gotten rid of it yet. So I hope that it won't uh, ruin your listening experience too much uh, and that you will still, in spite of my uh, cold, be able to get something out of today's episode. The topic for episode 7 of Prayer Room Companion is the reality of and the reasons for the Incarnation. Uh, we are episode seven is being taped during the second week of Advent, two thousand and six, and of course we are uh, preparing for uh, the the season of or the, the celebration of the feast and the season of Christmas. Uh, you may have listened to episode six, in which we had an interview with Father Martin Lawrence, our diocesan liturgical uh, master of ceremonies, and Father Martin's going to be back in, in the next episode, or perhaps episode eight. Uh, for a uh, an interview on the Christmas season and the, and the Feast of Epiphany. And in the next episode, the one prior to that, the next one after this one, we will be looking at a little bit about the, the history of the, the Feast of Christmas itself and, and how that came to be. So it seemed to me appropriate as, as I was looking at, at topics for uh, today's episode, for this podcast, uh, to talk a little bit about the reality of the Incarnation and the reasons for the Incarnation. Uh, you know, we're celebrating Christ's birth, or, or we're preparing, rather, to celebrate Christ's birth, and 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 then beginning, as we do with every liturgical year, to celebrate uh, the rest of his public ministry, culminating uh, with his uh, paschal sacrifice, the paschal mystery, his passion, death, and resurrection, which, of course, we celebrate during Lent and most particularly Holy Week and even more particularly the Sacred Triduum, the Holy Triduum, uh, which begins Holy Thursday and concludes, culminates on uh, the evening of Holy Saturday. As we talk about these things, though, I, I think it's important to, to answer the question, to address the question, did these things really happen? Uh, how do we know what we profess to believe about Christmas, about about the, the life of Christ in general? How do we know that what we say about Jesus, what we believe about Jesus, what we say happened, really happened? And even more basically, how do we know that Jesus ever really even lived? Uh, th- these are actually, I mean, in, in some ways they might seem foolish questions. Well, of course Jesus lived, and of course he did, well, at least most of the things that we believe about him, if not all of them. Uh, but in fact, there are people who deny that there was ever a Jesus of Nazareth who lived in the early first century in Nazareth in the whole, in, or, or in anywhere in the Holy Land. Uh, there are others who say he might have lived, but that we don't know anything about him. Now, it has to be said that these two opinions are held by a relatively small number of people. Most people do acknowledge that Jesus of Nazareth lived and that we can know something about him. But yet there are a greater number of people who do raise the question, well, what can we know about him? And what do we, in fact, know about him? Okay, so he does exist. We know something about him. But how much 
Is that something? How much do we really know about Jesus of Nazareth? Unfortunately, unlike the the question of Jesus' mere existence, when you're talking about how much we can know about him, how much we do know about him, there are in fact plenty of people, and most of them have academic degrees, doctorates, plenty of of, of scholars who deny the traditional understanding of Jesus, who claim that what the 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 church ha- believes and has always believed about Jesus, and what so many other Christians, uh, besides Catholics, believe about Jesus, uh, many of these scholars believe that that understanding is inaccurate. Uh, these scholars deny that the New Testament, including the Gospels, accurately portray Jesus Christ, uh, his life and his teachings, what he did and what he said. And oftentimes, you'll hear uh, a distinction which they off, which scholars like this uh, uh, refer to, a distinction between the Jesus of history and the Christ of faith. The Jesus of history and the Christ of faith. So, again, these scholars believe that Jesus lived and that he was an important person. We have the Jesus of history. There was a real historical Jesus who lived in the first century in the Holy Land. But these scholars believe that that if, if you do precise or if you engage in precise and exacting historical research, you'll find that the Jesus of history, the person who really lived and walked uh, in the Holy Land some 2,000 years ago, is very, very different than what traditional Christianity claims that he was. These scholars claim that when we look at Jesus of history, the Jesus of history, when we use historical scholarship to discover the Jesus of history, that this Jesus is very, very different from the Jesus portrayed by traditional Christianity. And so they refer to the Jesus that we find through history, the the guy who really, the, the man as he really was, that's the Jesus of history. And then you have what the church believes about him and that alter ego, so to speak, that persona they refer to as the Christ of faith. So the first, Jesus of history, is who really who Jesus really was. And the second, the Christ of faith, is what the church believes about him. It's a, and it's a false portrayal, according to these scholars. Now, you may not have heard this argument put in that in the, that these terms or in such a manner, but really the the basic position to distinguish uh, between the Jesus of history and the Christ of faith is is pretty well known. Um, There's one particular group of scholars called the Jesus Seminar, and from the late 80s through the 90s, their views, the views of the Jesus Seminar, would usually be featured in the cover of national magazines like Time and Newsweek, especially around Christmas time and Easter time. And this group, the Jesus Seminar, has published a new translation of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And in it, they have color-coded the words uh, that Jesus said to indicate how historical they are. So basically what happened is you have scholars who got together at at meetings, scholars who, who make up the Jesus Seminar, and they would hold votes on whether a particular verse was, how, how, historical it was, whether it was really historical, in other words, we're really Jesus, we know Jesus said it, or whether, well, it was probably historical, he probably said it, or yeah, it's probably not historical, he probably didn't say it, and then finally, well, this is definitely not historical, he definitely didn't say it. And it's very interesting to see uh, how they color code 
the words of, of our Lord. Uh, which verses get the, this is definitely true, and uh, color, and which ones get the, this is definitely not historical color. Uh, all sorts of things, like passages, uh, for instance, that refer to Jesus' divinity. Uh, St. Thomas exclaiming, my Lord and my God, get the big black. Uh, they, this is definitely not historical color. Uh, now, we we have to say that, that the Jesus Seminar is definitely an extreme group, and, and most scholars do not accept uh, the this Jesus Seminar's findings as legitimate uh, scholarship. At the same time, because their view has gotten such prominent attention in the media, uh, it has had an effect. Uh, many Christians, w- even if they don't necessarily buy in completely to the views of the Jesus Seminar and others who have similar views, Nonetheless, many Christians have questioned how accurate the, the traditional presentation of Jesus really is. Uh, so they've questioned, they've doubted, uh, and sometimes even denied their faith because of, of well, faulty and shoddy scholarship like that undertaken by the Jesus Seminar. Uh, it gets attention because it's controversial, uh, but uh, and because of that attention, it leads at least some Christians, and perhaps a good number of them, to question and doubt or even deny their faith. And if for, if you look at things like, uh, for instance, the, the novel and then the book, The Da Vinci Code, uh, this distinction between the Jesus of history and the Christ of faith, uh, and the assertion that the Christ of faith is a false portrayal and is not identical to the Jesus of history, is taken as a basic premise. And again, you, you, because of, of the the widespread impact of that novel, you had uh, even more Christians uh, who who wonder about the validity of the, of their faith. Again, though, rest assured, uh, the distinction between the Jesus of history and the the Christ of faith is erroneous because, in fact, they are one and the same. The traditional Christian view of Jesus is an accurate one. The New Testament, including the Gospels, faithfully and accurately depict the real Jesus. And as we will see, there's plenty of evidence for Jesus' actual existence, as well as his life as traditionally understood. Now, I, I, I do want to mention a couple things, a couple reasons why uh, all of this scholarship really shouldn't be true, this shoddy scholarship, but scholarship that nonetheless gets attention, why it shouldn't be too disconcerting, especially for Catholics. Basically, a big part of all of this is trying to answer the question, what do the New Testament, and what do the Gospels in particular, what do they really mean? Uh, What's really being said in these sacred texts? Frankly, though, that's, in some ways, not a concern for Catholics. In other words, trying to find out what the answer to that question is, as if we don't have the answer, is not an issue, uh, at least for Catholics, if not other Christians. Because when Catholics read Scripture, we read Scripture within tradition. Uh, Tradition, in one sense, is the interpretation, the proper interpretation of sacred Scripture. Uh, Tradition, in one sense, is the lens by by which we are able to get a clear image of Scripture. So when we read Scripture within sacred tradition, within the tradition of the church, we are, in a sense, putting on the glasses that allow us to properly understand Scripture. 
to understand what's being said, uh, in, especially in those instances where maybe things can be a little bit fuzzy without those glasses of tradition. Now, I'm not trying to belittle scripture or scriptural scholarship. Obviously, scholarship is important, and even more obviously, Holy Scripture is important. Uh, sacred Scripture is inspired, and, and, and Catholics, uh, in a sense, venerate Scripture uh, as the real, legitimate, and true Word of God. And obviously, Scripture scholarship can help us deepen our understanding of what uh, what the Holy Bible tells us. However, our faith as Catholics and our knowledge of of the truth about Scripture and and of the truth of our faith is not dependent upon Scripture alone. We don't depend exclusively upon the truths of Scripture, and therefore the the danger that erroneous scholarship poses to our faith is not not as uh, considerable as it is for those who who do not have recourse to sacred tradition, for those who depend on the Bible alone. In other words, and this is uh, this is not a trying to demean uh, Protestants who who accept tr- scripture alone. We could get in, we, and in future. Future podcast, we will discuss the doctrine of sola scriptura, scripture alone, which uh, which the Catholic Church holds to be erroneous. Uh, it's not just the Bible, but that's that's a se- separate issue right now. The point that I'm trying to make right now is, for those who have the Bible alone as their final authority on matters of faith, the historical truths of scripture are even that much more important and 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 the threat posed by uh shoddy scholarship that that seeks to undermine the historicity the historical nature of of the bible especially the gospels is even more deadly uh for those who have the bible alone than for catholics and the orthodox and some others who who also appeal to some sense of tradition the other thing that is is good to point out, or was notable uh, to point out with regard to the Catholic approach to this, and this is true for all Christians as well, in fact, Catholicism does not fear what accurate historical valid research reveals. In other words, when, when somebody undertakes uh, historical research and they come up with findings which are, are somehow determined uh, to be factual, which is true, or in other words, to be true, Catholicism does not fear that because we know that the church has not, cannot, and will never teach error. Therefore, the truths of our faith and the truths of history are ultimately one and the same in the sense that all truth has its origin in God. And because all truth has, its, has a common origin, God, there can be no contradiction between what, between what faith tells us and what history tells us. So th- there's no reason for Christians in general, but Catholics in particular, to, to, to fear valid and true historical research. Because if it's true, then it's going to accord with and, and complement what the Bible tells us, what our faith, the truths of our faith are. Again, Catholics in particular are not dependent upon historical research or scriptural research for our faith. We have a living authority, the Catholic Church and those within the church, the Pope and bishops, who have been appointed to hand on 
faithfully and accurately the truths of our faith. We have this living authority as our guarantor. So we, our, our faith is not in any way, uh, should not at least be endangered by what some professor of uh, scripture scholarship tells us because he is not our authority. And scripture alone is not the final authority for us as Catholics. Uh, scripture is is the word of God and is uh, paramount within our faith. And, 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 and we venerate it, as I said before, as, of course, the living word of God. And it is definitely, in a sense, the, the greatest authority, but is not the only authority. We also have tradition and the magisterium to help us understand the texts of the Holy Bible. Just some, and it, I, I bring these those things up because when you're talking about what can we really know about Jesus, we can know what the New Testament says. Uh, we can know the truth of the New Testament, but we don't need to, and we don't need to fear what what Scripture scholars have to tell us. But what I want to do now is is move on uh, to talk about uh, evidence for Christ's existence. How do we know that Jesus really lived? And then we will address the historicity of the New Testament, and then finally we will look at the reasons for the incarnation. For the incarnation, evidence for Jesus' existence is pretty quick and straightforward. Uh, of course, we have uh, the, the the Bible itself, the New Testament in particular, and the Gospels, and we'll get to those later. But there are all sorts of references to Jesus among early Christian documents that aren't part of the Bible. Uh, Throughout the early church fathers, the writings of the first Christians, there's obviously references to Jesus. And we're talking about documents from the late first century onward, uh, second century, third century, and so on. In other words, within a few decades after Christ's life and death and resurrection and ascension, you have Christians referring to him. Okay, that's a pretty good indication that he really lived. Apart from that, however, there is non-Christian evidence for the existence of Jesus of Nazareth. Uh, there are Jewish documents uh, from the late first century and into the second century that refer to Jesus, Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth. There are documents from some Roman, Roman historians from the early second century that refer to Jesus, uh, as well as details like his home, the, uh, Judea, the region in which he lived, uh, the date, rough dates uh, in which he lived, that he was executed by Pontius Pilate, and so on. Uh, the, the Roman historian Tacitus is one such example of of a historian who refers to uh, Jesus. Uh, and of course, from archaeology, first of all, nothing in archaeology is anyway disproven that, that that Jesus existed. And secondly, archaeology has buttressed the the historical nature of the New Testament, including the Gospels. Uh, Again, very few people deny that Jesus existed, and for good reason, because for just the quick reasons I gave here, as well as others, we have good evidence, good historical evidence, as good as we do for many other historical figures uh, for Christ's existence. In other words, the evidence we have that Jesus existed is as strong as, or in many cases stronger, than the evidence we have that other historical figures existed. And these are figures whose whose existence we routinely take for granted. 
Uh, in fact, the only reason to deny that Jesus existed is, frankly, because somebody has an agenda. Uh, they they want to deny uh, Christianity uh, a priori. In other words, they have an agenda to deny it, so they'll they'll take uh, whatever morsels, whatever really pathetic and weak arguments they can find to deny that Jesus has existed because they don't want him to have existed, frankly. Uh, again, that's a very small number of people. As I said at the begin- outset, however, there is a greater number of people who don't deny that Jesus existed, but wonder whether or not, and or in some cases deny, that the New Testament and the Gospels in particular give a reliable account of his life and work. Well, in fact, as I, as I already stated, uh, they do give a reliable account of his life and work. The Gospels and the New Testament in general give an accurate and a reliable portrayal of who Jesus was, what he did, and what he said. And I'm just going to offer a, a few basic points along these lines as well. Today, uh, in the early third millennium, the beginning of the 21st century, the vast majority of scholars of every stripe in other words, regardless of their uh, denomination, whether they're Catholic or Lutheran or whatever, uh, and, and liberal or conservative for that matter as well, the vast majority of scholars date the four Gospels to between the years 70 and 100 A.D. And in fact, you'll find some scholars who date them even earlier than 70 A.D. But, but take, take that range, 70 to 100 A.D. This is within a generation of Christ's lifetime. In other words, if Jesus, we believe, died probably the year 33 and rose and ascended to the Father that year uh, as as well, of course, then 40 years, it was only 40 years later that you had the first gospel being written at the latest. And the final gospel is written 60 years, 70 years later at at the latest. If the the four gospels that we have in the Bible were not historically valid, people who knew the quote unquote truth would have objected to the content of the Gospels, wouldn't they? In other words, as Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were being written, there would have been people still alive who were alive in the year 30, 31, 2, 3, and so on. And they could have said, as, as, as Matthew, Mark, and Luke are being written and then circulated, well, well, this isn't true at all. None of this stuff really happened. Uh, yeah, there's this guy, Jesus of Nazareth. He was my neighbor, but he didn't do any of this stuff. Uh, I, you would have had people making would have made counterclaims like that to deny the historical nature of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Besides that, of course, besides the four Gospels, we have other New Testament documents. Well, before I move on to that, there is nobody who ever denied that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were valid, who had been alive in in the the years of Christ's life. Uh, in other words, nobody who was alive in thirty around the year thirty A.D. was still alive when Matthew, Mark, and Luke and John were being written, um, or knew who knew who or knew people who were. Nobody said this stuff didn't happen like this. These things are not of historical nature at all. You don't have anything like that. In addition, other New Testament texts are even older than the Gospels. Uh, some of Paul's letters, for instance, were written around the year fifty, and and he refers to Jesus. Again, however, eyewitnesses from the time would have still been alive to to contradict what Paul said, and they didn't. The fact of the matter, the Gospels, and as well as other New Testament texts, are much closer in time to the events they describe 
than the works of other ancient historians. In other words, if you look at the gap, uh, anywhere from 20 to 70 years between when Jesus lived and then when he was written about by Paul and then the gospel writers, that time period is a much, much smaller period than uh, the time period in historical works written by some ancient historians. So, for example, the the historians Plutarch or Livy narrated events which occurred centuries before Plutarch and Livy lived, and yet their histories are accepted as valid. In other words, they wrote, it'd be like me writing here in the year two, at the end of the year 2006 about the Reformation uh, in the 16th century and me making certain historical claims about what happened. Okay, Plutarch and Livy did s- similar things. They wrote about things. They wrote his- historic. They just didn't write about things. They wrote histories about events that happened centuries before they lived, and yet today scholars accept the their the histories written by by these ancient writers as valid, as true. Okay, and there is much much more evidence um, for the Gospels than there is for other historical events and personages as well. In other words, we have these events that happen in history that were written about later, but there's much, much more writing about what Jesus said and did in the Gospels, the New Testament, and so on, than there is for these other secular events. What we're talking Again, we're talking about textual attestation here. In historical research, the validity of a work, of a historical work, is determined in part by the number of copies or manuscripts that are available and how old they are. Okay, so in other words, whether or not, uh, 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 you know, uh, John's history of the founding of the country, I'm just making something up here, whether or not it's a valid history is in part determined by how many copies are still available of the particular work and how old those copies are, okay? Rarely in historical research do we have the original manuscript copy. In other words, the, cop- the, the original text written literally by the historian. Usually, we have uh, copies which others had made of the original work. One way, therefore, or one one step in determining the validity of the validity of the original work, the, whether or not it's historically accurate or not, is by looking at how many copies of the original are available, how many how many manuscripts there are, and how old they are. When we talk about the New Testament and the Gospels in particular, we have many, many, many more manuscripts which are closer to Christ's life than similar historical accounts. In other words, we have more gospel, with the gospels, we don't have any of the originals. We don't have any original copies of of the four gospels, the four biblical gospels. But the copies of the copies, the copies of the originals that we have, and copies of those, we have many, many more of them, and they are much, much older than the copies, the manuscripts we have of other historical works that are accepted as accurate. Okay, do you, I hope this is 
making some sense to you. If if I wrote a history again uh, of something, and centuries later, somebody wanted centuries down the road from now, say the year three thousand, somebody wants to determine whether my, whether or not my history is accurate, they're going to look at how many copies were made of the history that I wrote, and how close those copies are to when I wrote my original work. So say I, again, I wrote uh, uh, say I wrote a history of uh, the city of Sioux Falls in the 20th century. And I wrote that this year in 2006. I write the work and then other copies of it are made over time. What scholars in the year 3000 are going to do in order to determine, or well, one, one step they're going to take to determine the truth of the validity of my history is look at how many copies were made and how close they are to the year that I wrote my original in 2006. Because if there are a few copies made and they are centuries later, say, say the only copies scholars in the year 3000 are able to find uh, are copies made in the year uh, 2400, and they've only got seven of them. Well, that's not going. that's going to, at least for the scholars in the year 3000, it's going to make them doubt the validity of my original because they don't have access to the original and they only have a few copies and those copies were made centuries after the original. When you look at the Gospels, however, and the other New Testament texts, that's definitely not the case. We have, again, uh, many manuscripts, partial and complete, of the original Gospels, copies of those original Gospels, uh, from just you know within uh, decades and centuries after the originals were writ- were written, and and that lends to the truth of the the or the validity rather of the gospels and what they say about Jesus. The other thing I want to point out is that many scholars uh, try to debunk the historical nature of the gospels in the New Testament because they have a priori assumptions. Again, they come in with an agenda. Uh, for instance, some you know, you'll read some scholars who assert that the oh the the miracle of the 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 multiplication of the loaves and the fishes didn't happen. Oh well, why didn't it happen? What what historical evidence is there to say that it didn't happen? Well, things like that just can't happen. Is basically what a lot of them will ultimately hold, although they won't say it as as plainly as that. Uh, in other words, they just don't think miracles are possible. And so when they get to narratives of miracles in the Gospels, they conclude that, well, they can't be literal miracles uh, because literal miracles simply are impossible. Okay? And, and you have other instances like that. I mean, these scholars are human. Uh, th- they have their presuppositions. They have their presumptions, just like the rest of us. And while ideally all of us should be as objective as possible, uh, in our in everything we do, and when you're talking about scholars, when they're uh, take, undertaking their scholarship, they can be should be as objective as they can. The fact of the matter is, unfortunately, sometimes they aren't. Just like sometimes we aren't. The rest of us aren't. And sometimes they allow uh, their their up assumptions and presuppositions to cloud their better judgment and and to draw conclusions, uh, which which in fact do not. Flow, do not follow from their research. The other things that could be said too, but the, basically the the short of it is, uh, the historical nature of the Gospels is is completely valid and sound on its own terms, apart from what the Church has said about them. In other words, as I said before, we as Catholics can rest assured in the truth of the Gospels because the Church 
which is guided, protected by the power of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. The church is, has has uh, repeatedly and resoundingly, resoundingly uh, stated that the Gospels are in fact true, and that they are are historical. But apart from the church's testimony, just from historical research, we know that that's true as well. Now, I I did also want to talk about the reasons for the incarnation, but I think actually what I'm going to do, especially because we're we're already around half an hour, and I try to keep these podcasts around episodes around half an hour long, I think in some ways it'd be more appropriate to talk about the reasons for the incarnation uh, in the next episode when we talk about the history of of the feast of Christmas. So I'm going to to hold off on on that discussion. Uh, for the next episode. But in the meantime, if you have any questions about this or any other episodes, as always, feel free to contact me. uh, And the best way, probably, if you're listening to this online, you probably have access to email. Send me an email at cbergwald, that's C-B-U-R-G-W-A-L-D, at sfcatholic.org. cbergwald at S as in Sue, F as in Falls, catholic.org. Until next time, God bless you.